You don't have to be rolled into an operating room to get a scientific clean. You can just get your morning coffee or bottomless breadsticks or celebrate 10 years together because the scientific expertise that helps operating rooms stay clean helps restaurants too. Look for the Ecolab Science Certified Seal where you dine. This episode is brought to you by Madewell. Ready to step up your denim game? The experts at Madewell use premium fabric and the latest denim technology to make super comfy, never want to take them off jeans in fits and styles for everyone. The kind of jeans you'll reach for again and again. Get $20 off your online jeans purchase by using code SPOTIFY20 at madewell.com. Terms apply. Please see madewell.com slash promos for full offer details. Welcome to Go Ask Alley, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Hi, I'm Allie Wentworth, and you're listening to Go Ask Alley, where this part of the season, I'm asking, how do you grow a healthy relationship with yourself, with a spouse, a sibling, hell, even your bartender? In this episode, I'm talking about how to grow a relationship with our mortality. My guest is my friend, Annabelle Gerwich, who has an incredible new book out, You're Leaving When, Adventures in Downward Mobility. Now, after writing this book, Annabelle went to get a COVID test, which led to a diagnosis of stage four lung cancer. She has much to say about how she views her life now. Annabelle is a New York Times bestselling author. She's published a number of books, including I See You Made an Effort and Wherever You Go, There You Are, Stories About My Family You Might Relate To. She's an activist, an actress. She is most recognizable as one of the original hosts from the previous TBS hit show, Dinner in a Movie. Her other acting credits include Seinfeld, Dexter, Daddy Daycare, and Melvin Goes to Dinner. Finally, she is a co-host of the podcast, Tiny Victories. I've always loved Annabelle's writing, especially her candor and her ability to find the funny in even the most serious life-altering scenarios. Just don't expect her to run a marathon. Please enjoy my very candid conversation with Annabelle Gerwich. Let me just start with this three-day podcast because it's people should drink a lot of coffee because this won't end. But (laughs) so you're divorced, an empty nester, and a creative person in a pandemic. You also recently found out that you have stage four lung cancer, which that's a biggie. Yeah. That's bigger than divorced. I'm sorry. Uh, Yeah. The beginning of this new book of mine, The You're Leaving When, which Mm -hmm. you helped inspire. But um, the first line of the book was meant as a satire. It was the worst of times. It was the worst of times. That might have been a mistake to write that because the thing about the... the diagnosis that I got during COVID was that I don't have symptoms. I don't feel badly. I just have this uh, terrible life-threatening disease that I didn't know about, which was like when people say like, oh, I don't know, I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. Like the bus hit, you know, but it's a very slow-moving bus and it's just something I I have to live with now. So, you know, in this season, I'm dealing with growing relationships. And with you, I think it's about growing a relationship with your mortality because your whole book deals with different versions of that, of, as, as I like to say, the back nine of our lives. And so I I think we're going to start with the stage four lung cancer because we did. And because it is almost unfathomable to most people. Mm -hmm. So you had a, a consistent cough. Am I right? Yeah. But I mean, like it it was Allie, it was like, I mean, uh, you we're going to be talking and you're not going to hear me cough because it's not like I'm coughing all the time. I mean, I just assumed it was acid reflux. And Ezra, my my college graduate class of COVID 2020 mm-hmm. kid, they are a non-binary person now. I think mm-hmm. this is something that I, I wrote about in the book about adjusting when your kid changes gender identification just one more adaptation of yes. of this back nine life. And, you know, we, Ezra had come home from college and we had quarantined and we were just getting a COVID test. And the really crazy thing is that we went to 
<clears throat> okay, now I'm going to... Uh, oh, now you're going to cough through the whole fucking podcast. Now I'm going to cough through the whole fucking thing. Oh, uh, we went through... We, we, we went to Dodger Stadium, our local, like, city testing thing. The line was too long. Mm-hmm. Then we, we were going to go to my GP, but they weren't doing testing. So the chances of this even happening, of getting this diagnosis, were so slim because we just ended up at this urgent care where this doctor talked me into getting an x-ray. And just based on the fact that when they, before you have the COVID test, they say, do you have any symptoms? I was like, no, I, I have a little cough, but who doesn't, you know? And I thought he was, you know, when you're at a makeup counter and they give you the upsell, what you really need is this expensive moisturizer, and then they don't stop. So I thought it was an upsell. And so I agreed to this x-ray just to like, okay, let's get out of here. He was just not quitting, you know? I mean, we're at a mini mall next to a Trader Joe's. I'm like, I'm getting an this is yeah I don't I never thought that those people were actually doctors yeah like in those urgent cares I mean you know well it's LA there were probably actors too well once we went to an urgent care on Halloween for my kid had like cut their finger and the doctor I'm saying that with like air quotes had a, a like a hatchet like, you know, like a, like a costume with a hatchet stuck in his head. I mean, that's what I think of urgent care doctors, right? So, okay. I mean, anyway, so get the sex ray. He says, oh, you're fine. And we go on our way. My car breaks down on the freeway. And then we're in like a zombie apocalypse movie because AAA is not coming. And I'm like, wow, I guess AAA doesn't come during a pandemic. We're on the side of the road. The phone rings and it's the doctor from the urgent care saying, I've made a mistake. You actually have a mass on your lung. Jesus Christ. And we're on the side of a freeway with a broken down car and what? Well, it depends on the freeway. What freeway was it? Okay, we're on the 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 foothill freeway, which is in like it's it's like we're on this part where there's nothing. Ugh. There's just a nothingness there. So I felt like I was in one of those like um more like a Tarantino movie. Like you're on this something bad's gonna happen at the side of that road. So well, usually it does. By the way, it, well yes, and luckily that didn't happen. But uh, no, you just were told you had. A mass on your lungs. Just that. But, you know, then I went through these months of like maybe a walking pneumonia or something called valley fever. And then I was convinced. And the doctor that I was with at the time, because we hadn't done a biopsy and these other further tests, we thought it was maybe that I was using this facial toner that has castor oil in it, which can store in your lungs. And I was like, wouldn't that be just like me? My vanity has given me an infection. We thought I had an infection in my lungs. But who came up with that ridiculous hypothesis? (laughs) Me. Uh, (laughs) No, but but he had said to me, have you been eating castor oil? And I'm like, no. But then I happened to look at this facial mist and I saw it had castor oil in it. I mean, this is... Yeah. This is the thought of a desperate person. Okay. I understand. You're literally clinging clinging to the vines of life. Yes. Right. And so then, you know, three months into it, I get this diagnosis after this biopsy and all this. And, you know, it's a life-changing thing. And I, you know, again, maybe not a good idea. In the book, I have this line, it's something I've always said, like, oh, please don't tell me that cancer is a gift or the universe is doing something for me. But I have taken this opportunity to ask myself, you know, oh, okay, how long am I going to live? So how am I going to live? How, how am I going to have a happier life? I mean, just why not? This is just the way it is. I am alone at home with <laughs> cancer and kittens. It's sort of like the worst nightmare of like spinster heaven, you know, and I've embraced it. I'm like spinster strong. Yeah, yeah, good. Well, by the way, your next book should be called Cancer and Kittens it's, because it's it's dark, but then there's something cute. Well, kittens are magic. Everybody knows that. Uh, yes. Okay, so what was the first thing that went through your head? Well, first of all, it was like the worst of the worst case of like that phone call 
was on a speakerphone in front of Ezra, mm. right? I, I never would have, mm. I, you know, you just want to protect your kid. And I would have wanted to find a way. But it was like, oh, just right out there. So that wasn't a possibility. And then I was, of course, just in this sort of emotional free fall. And of course. I, you know, I was, I'm really lucky. My sister came out and my sister has never seen a problem she didn't have a spreadsheet for. Like, she's a mission-driven person and this is just the kind of mission, you know, she could step into because I was just, I was a wreck. I was just going from like, yeah, zero to panic. Meals were falling by the, I just could barely function, you know? So of course. I have to say, when she told me she was coming out, she said the three scariest words someone in your family can say to you. You're adopted. One-way ticket. <gasps> she had gotten a one-way ticket. Wow. To, to come visit. That has layers of well crazy meaning to it. That really scared me. Yeah. Because I'm like, oh, fuck. This this is serious. Like, she's just coming out for possibly forever. But she was like a Mary Poppins of, like, my sister's like a sainted person. She was getting up at 5 a.m., starting running her business, and then cooking for us. And she just gave this layer, you know, of stability to the household. And yeah. You know, it was life-saving, and it was hard for me. And then other friends started helping, too, of just calling me, going for uh, walks with me. And just, you know, um, this is really uh, tells you something about me. Like, I don't like to cook, but so I don't borrow a cup of sugar from my neighbors. But my neighbors were doing things like leaving a glass of wine for me in the shrubbery in front of my house. My doctor said I could have a glass of wine. Oh. And we're like like on lockdown here. So I would text my neighbor, Barbara, and say, hey, what, what do you have open tonight? And she would, uh, like, not the bottle. I think they were worried about me. They, a glass, an actual just glass of wine sitting in the shrubbery. I mean. That's amazing. And, but it was hard for me to actually accept help. Like, I don't, I don't like to be that person. I want to be the person to rush in and make things more chaotic as it sometimes happens. But But, didn't it feel good? I mean, didn't you feel love and, and warmth and not so alone? Not at first, not Mm -hmm. at first. At first, I just felt, just felt like a failure. And if I could say to anyone, any advice, just, yeah, accept it. Yeah. Just say thank you. You know, I just felt so embarrassed, like I had failed, that I needed help. And also, people say things to you in order to help you, and it's hard to hear them, or people don't know what to say. Yeah. So that becomes a thing, you know, and, you know, in the New York Times, I wrote about my friend who was just kept wanting me to make juice and got me this juicer, and it was like (laughs) the loveliest thing, but like, I just didn't want one more thing to have to do. Right. You know, and I don't want to be someone's cancer warrior. I have a very, very good friend who I held her hand during uh, a very scary cancer mm-hmm. scare in her stomach, and she's a survivor, but she was bombarded with all that advice, too. Mm-hmm. It was like every day somebody said something out of some aspirational calendar that right. she didn't know what to do with, or, right. you know, people would send her a kite and be like, fly high, you know, just all this crap. Right. And I said to her, what is it, you know, honestly, what do you miss? What do you want? Yeah. Because she didn't want a tuna casserole and she didn't want me, you know, crying at her feet, telling her bok choy is supposed to, you know, none of that. It's hard, you know, it's hard because I, you feel like people are meaning so well and uh, you don't want to not accept that once I got over that. But uh, there was a point where um, my sister, I think it was two months in, and it was kind of near the time where we decided I was okay for her to go back to New York. And this was maybe a sign. She said, okay, tonight I'm making turkey and zucchini loaf. And I went, ugh. (laughs) (laughs) I, I said, oh, my God. 
I am so sorry. I am so sorry. Oh, my God. I would love that. And she's like, what, what? I said, listen, I have cancer. Do I really have to have turkey and zucchini loaf? Because that sounds like a punishment. Can't we just order in sushi? Like, I just want sushi. Like She was like, well, of course. But it's so hard to say what you need. And I know, you know, actually, one of the things that is, is, you know, a strategy of coping with this is I have become a little bit better at saying no. Great. You know, yes, of like things that work for me, things that don't work for me, how I want to spend my time, how I Mm -hmm. don't want to spend my time. I think that's really hard for women. I think that's really hard. Nearly impossible. I, and I, I struggle with it every day. I say yes to everything. I just want to say that yesterday I drove my child's roommate's cat to the vet. So as I say this, I am not saying I've like got this down. You're completely full of shit. I'm full of shit. <laughs> but you love animals. Let's put it in that category. Well, I also I love my kid. So was there anything anybody said that actually helped following your diagnosis? I did get some great advice about the cancer thing and things that people say to you from Caitlin Flanagan, who writes for The Atlantic. Mm -hmm. So Caitlin has had stage four breast cancer for like 17 years. It's, you know, she's an amazing person that she has continued to live her life and She's a mom of two. Anyway, she I, I called her near the very beginning because people were telling me I had to eat raw foods. I had to eat this rare vegetable. I should go see a psychic surgeon. I, You know, there, it, it was one very close friend of mine said to me before I got the diagnosis, you know, you know your body better than anyone else. Do you think you have cancer? Are you, you, really? Like, I just... What? So wow. Well, people, but, and she said it out of love. Of course. A total love. So Caitlin said to me, she said, Annabelle, you don't have to eat raw food. You don't have to juice. You don't have to think positive thoughts. You don't have to sacrifice a virgin in a volcano. Go to your doctor's appointments and take the fucking pills. Just do what they say. And it just like freed me to say, I'm going to do this in a way that, you know, works for me. I do feel like a sense of humor is a saving grace because it did kick in for me, this sort of shifting of the mind thing where I used to say like, gosh, you know, if I ever get cancer, I don't want to be the person who, you know, she had cancer and she ran a marathon. Like, I want to be the person who has cancer and doesn't run a marathon. Like, I, I just, like, do I have to work that hard? No, it's the best excuse not to run a marathon. You know, but there's this funny thing about we we reward a certain kind of behavior that we think is laudable. And I'm not saying it's not great to run a marathon. Really, it's fantastic. But there's like... You know, you can see, and everyone sent me, there's like 10 TED Talks, and I got I got a thousand links to them. I, I had cancer, I ran a marathon, and everyone claps. If I ever do the talk, I will do the, uh, I had cancer, and I tried to live a normal life every day. And, and sort of a joke, I'm going to not run the marathon. But it's proved to be the thing that I feel has been the most important thing to me. And it's one of these coping mechanisms of how do I get through this cancer? How do I get through this COVID? Which has been something that I've never really liked in my life, which is to really invest in my quality of daily living. I'm much more of a person of like, I I get excited about a destination. I love doing a book tour. I love, you know, performing and doing readings. But like, I have to try to make every day work on my daily living, like the daily strategies of living, making that be valuable. Because that's where we're at in COVID. All these things that I realized I've learned exactly how much of a social person I really am. 
Uh, in fact, in the book, I write about this, that right at the time that COVID hit, I was really feeling good about the way I designed my life post-marriage. I have a shared writing office, so I can have water cooler conversations. Yeah. I was doing these open houses where I'd invite writers to come to my house. I'd say that my house is open from 7 to 10. There's tea and snacks if you want it. And it's a quiet room. And we and just pick a spot and write. And Which is so lovely. I love that idea. You know what? It was like this great way to get myself to work. And it's just one of my community things. I volunteer at the high school. And then, of course, they all fell away. Right. You know, in COVID. So then I started this writers writing alone together community like I had in my living room on Zoom. And this is really nice thing. But, you know, every day there'd be like uh, someone from Florida, someone from Chicago, and friends were telling friends and people on social media, there was just one thing you were supposed to just be writing. And it really helped. Like, it was funny. There was one person, I don't know who she is. I've never met her. She would write and then fold laundry. (laughs) And... (laughs) And I didn't have the heart to say. We're on Zoom. (laughs) Yeah, I just started to think of it like it was comforting. It was like, oh, look, it's Degas the Laundress. In my in, on my Zoom screen, like this was one of my little mm-hmm. adaptations. Well, isn't it funny how we all find our little things? There's a lot more to come after this short break. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. And we're back with more Go Ask Alley. There must be things that you've sort of consciously tried to work on to help you get through. One of the things I've had to really think about during this time is becoming more flexible. Like I'm a person who really likes routine. And I I like that because without it, I just kind of just fall apart. Yeah. Like I loved being, and this was, I don't know if you feel this way, Allie, but being an actress worked for me in those years of that career. I actually loved having people tell me where to go and what to do and what to say. <laughs> there was a part of me that just found that so relaxing. Wow. I was the opposite. I was, I was the girl who was, and maybe that was the writer of me that was saying, you know, what would be a funnier line? You know, it'd be better if I popped out from behind the desk and then a little bit of like, don't tell me what to do. You sound like my mother. I mean, I'm just a layer of issues. You know what comedy writers and directors don't always enjoy? Someone who tells them how their line's going to be funnier. That's not what they want. I'll tell you one thing. My husband, George Stephanopoulos, is, you know, a brilliant man, not known for his comedy. And very early in our marriage, I said, this is what you're never allowed to say to me. You know what would be funnier? So (laughs) I will never say to you, do you know what would be a more interesting question for bin Laden? Like, I'll never say that kind of stuff to you. Like, stay in your lane. Yes. And it was very helpful in our marriage, that one thing to not say. Yeah, no, it, that's just not happening. Um, but, you know, we, I started to say something about flexibility and, 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 and being a rigid person who likes to stick to a schedule. That has been something that's been really interesting uh, to note during this time. Like, normally, mm-hmm. I, in normal world, I, I do like to have a very specific schedule. I have found that this COVID isolation stay-at-home thing has required me to be more flexible and to say like, oh, you know, things stop working. Like there's different stages of the pandemic. Like, you know, everyone was like, sourdough bread, I'm going to 
bake salad. I, I did not get into that, but, you know, most people did. Did you garden? Did you make a vegetable garden? I didn't make a vegetable <laughs> garden because that would have been useful. What I did do was I got, and everyone on my block was doing this. It was like it swept through. We all started making rock gardens. So I was... This is going to sound a little nuts. I was going to these, like, dumpsters in front of people's houses, getting in, salvaging broken concrete, and then mixing them with rocks in the front yard. Ezra was like, Mom, it's like you're you're in a prison quarry because <laughs> I would just, like, work on this for hours a day. And I just want to say, in retrospect, now that I see it, I'm not sure I have improved the value of my home. That that might appeal to somebody. I, I'm not you don't know. sure about... You don't know. I It's an aesthetic. Well, and then I just couldn't stand to see another rock. Like, do you know, I, and then I have this daily writer's Zoom. And, and I was working like 10 hours a day. And I was feeling really productive. And then I hit a point where, and I'm in this point now where working all day was just depressing me. And so my new phase of the pandemic that I'm in is I have to have more playtime. And I really mean like playtime. So two of my longtime friends, I don't want to say oldest because we're already old enough, we are taking ukulele lessons on Zoom. Wow. They're in New York. Why ukulele? Okay, we wanted to do something. One of my friends suggested we do the accordion. I'm like, that's hard and yeah. and expensive. Like accordions are really expensive and it's really hard. So all three of us, like, what can we do? What do we all have? And we all have kids. So we all have a ukulele because somehow or another, children just end up with ukuleles. And recorders. Like, I feel like we have recorders. And recorders. Right. So we are like, okay, we all have ukes. We meet once a week on Zoom. And I mean, the thing about it is we suck. We're never forming a band. I, by the way, I assumed that. Okay, I didn't want to say anything. I, I assumed you sucked until you told me otherwise. Well, yeah. at first we were like, we were just kind of got a little intoxicated. Like, yeah. we're going to have like a, a, a band. We're going to yes. get in a band. We're three Jews and and three yep. ukes. And we're going to go out and we're going to tour. And we were like, we're going to learn REM songs. That was our first. We. We're working on You Are My Sunshine and Twinkle Twinkle. It's And that'll take like five years to prob I'm like it's yeah. and you know, one of my friends is uh, Jessica Hecht, who's a Tony yeah. nominee. Yeah, she's yeah. a brilliant actress. She she might be a little worse than me on this on the uke. I just I don't want to say anything. You take pride in saying that publicly, yes. Well, because she's so accomplished as a performer. Oh, I know. And well, let's bring her down a notch. I get it. it. We just laugh. We laugh, and we're like, the whole world stops. I love we're it. We're playing the uke. We're together. And, the, you know, because of this diagnosis, it's really important to catch up with friends, and that's been a really mm-hmm. important thing. There's a, Sometimes I get overwhelmed with emotion of, like, just— um, like gratitude of like, oh my God, I love you. We've had all these memories. Like I can get very, even just talking about it, like sentimental because sure. you get this kind of diagnosis and you feel like time is even more precious, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, the thing about the Ute class is we're all together, but we're not talking about our lives. We're not talking about even just like rehashing the day or things that are going on. We're just focused on an activity together. And this focus is relaxing and it's really fun. And it, and it doesn't tread into the territory that has an emotional content to it. So it's just joyful. What what I'm hearing from you is that what's working for you right now is to actually do things that have distraction so that you can actually enjoy life a little bit and not be in the muck and mire of of cancer. Yeah. Pockets of time that are distinct from mm-hmm. the, oh, the issues of the day. And in some sense, you know, that's, that's what's called a liminal space, right? Mm-hmm. And also there are things I can do with people. Um, yeah. kinds of engagement 
that I, I just really need that. Can I ask you, you are divorced. Yeah. You seemed, based on your book, to have a pretty amicable breakup. Has that changed your relationship with your ex when you got the cancer diagnosis? Well, I want to just say in the You're Leaving When book, it's it's not a divorce book. Not at all. And that's very specific. Not yeah. at all. Yeah. It's a post. It's a post. Definitely. It's life. And I did that specifically because, first of all, we're not actually divorced yet. Oh. We have been, we, we, you know, and the issue was health insurance. We are still working out our yeah. things. And like so many people in this country, it was the health insurance uh, mm-hmm. that has been keeping us together. But we are we are making this division now. You know what's fun in a pandemic? Go to mediation divorce on a Zoom. Oh, Get divorced. It's a it's a little nuts, but I I didn't I just didn't want to write about that. I feel like I need to wait a certain amount of time. Now I wrote about the cancer diagnosis during COVID in the New York Times mm-hmm. because yes. I wanted to do two things. I wanted to encourage anyone that had any kind of symptoms to not think of uh, putting off going to the doctor. Which Um, was very smart. And I wanted to also bring attention to this chronic illness cost in America because there are going to be long haulers and other people like me that have been dealing with these kind of things for a long time, this issue of how do you afford that in America? This is the largest source of bankruptcy is medical bills. So I wrote that, but I don't usually write about things for a few years. I want to process them. Mm -hmm. And because I'm not actually divorced, no, I just, that's actually too emotional for me to write about. And, And it is in some sense, I mean, it has been as amicable as it can be, but it's hard. Two decades of marriage. It's really hard, and and I'll just well as you say as you say in your book, you're like the sh- the show is over. We we closed the show, right? And you know when this diagnosis came, my ex would would like to be supportive of me. And the interesting thing I've found is I've had to sort of draw a line in the sand. Though I don't feel like it's good for me mm-hmm. to be asking too much, or really asking much at all, because that's my past life. And that's not going to be healthy for me. Like just that takes a lot of strength, my friend. Well, it, I I just can't. I just can't do it. Yeah. Are you online dating at all right now? That's funny. You should mention that. I uh, no, but I I went to the uh, online Jewish virtual speed dating event that's <gasps> called the Matzah Ball. And uh, you know, there's two kinds of matzo balls. There's sinkers and floaters. This was definitely a sinker. Oh God! Um, but you're open to it. You're open to it, right? I, I, you know, I'm not. I'm not really interested in online dating. So that's not really for me. But are you yeah. open to pleasure post uh, cancer diagnosis? Can you go there? Can you be like, you know what? I'm going to take out the vibrator. I enjoy a little fun today. Or are you like, no? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, and I wrote about this because I just felt like not enough people were talking about the search for lube. Are you going to vaginal atrophy? Yes, I. <laughs> yes, you are. By the way, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I, I will publicly say that my vagina is still okay and intact and and getting good use. Good for you. But I have friends that complain about pain and dryness. And and so when you talk about the Mona Lisa procedure, yeah, yeah, it is something that my gynecologist has tried mm-hmm. to push me on the way every time I get my moles checked, they want me to get Juvederm. And I'm like, no, 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 no. But you write so wonderfully visual about issues with the vagina, but this one procedure, which I think is supposed to plump it up. So tell me, tell me about, is your vagina awake now, Annabelle? It's right now. I I really don't know how it's doing. I've been thinking about uh, cancer. But before then, I did do this Mona Lisa thing. And I'm just going to, trying to find the right lube at a certain age. That's something I've never seen in a movie. Like, you know, I just love, I mean, I love seeing films with women at a certain age having sex. But I. Every time I see these movies, I'm like, where is the moment 
where they're like, she's got like an arsenal like I have now. It's like I'm preparing for the end of the world lubecalypse. I've got a, 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 a stash of lubes, but it wasn't actually working. So I did sign up for this Mona Lisa thing. And by the way, wouldn't it be great in an unmarried woman if Jill Clayberg pulled out a bottle of coconut oil? Yes. Yes, they, you, we need to normalize it. Let's do it. We're yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do it. We're gonna do well, it. Well, but part of the thing I you know write about is this like oh everybody knows Cialis. You've seen those bathtubs on posters. There's commercials for erectile dysfunction, which by the way, again, like okay, erectile dysfunction. It's the butt of jokes. Viagra. Who came up with the term vaginal atrophy? Like, what kind of punishment is that? It yeah. sounds like, you know, my vagina has fallen and it can't get up. I mean, it's like, it's not, it's just. Well, worse, your vagina is dead. It's dead. It died. Yes. It's, yes. And it it's, it's horrible. They could have called it vaginal dysfunction. Would have been better yeah. than. Yeah, I'll take it. And again, no one had, no one I knew had talk to me about this. And so I go, I sign up with my doctor for this. And in the fertility area, there's orchids and couches and families. It was like they were having picnics. It's like this happy scene of like beautiful light streaming in. And they, I check in for the Mona Lisa and they send me to this darkened room with high wing back chairs. And I'm not kidding, black and white photographs of like sand dunes. Where the dead vaginas go. And then, of course, they call it the Mona Lisa, which is just a terrible appropriation of great art. Yep. As if Mona Lisa, the only thing she could be sort of smiling about is that her vagina's working again. I mean, it's all an outrage. It's <laughs> just talking about it makes me so angry. <laughs> and then it was a little uncomfortable, but you know what? It did work. It it did it works. Work. It did work. Are you getting kickback for this? Yeah, no. No, I am not. You should. I should. Again, it's expensive. And again, it's like it's one of those things that's so unfair, which is that Viagra and Cialis, they have codes so they can be covered by your insurance. Is the Mona Lisa covered? Do I even have to ask that? Of course not. It costs so much more for women. But it did actually plump it up. And I mean, that's the problem is the vaginal walls get thinner as you get older. And if you have sex regularly, then it it, it maintains its tone or it's sort of like working out, you know. Or uh, isn't it like driving an Alfa Romeo? Like if you leave it in the garage for too long, it won't start up. But if you drive it a lot, Right. Very, you know, it requires attention, right? Maintenance, so, yeah. Maintenance, maintenance. So, yeah, so, but it actually worked. And I... So your your vagina is alive now, alive and well. It's alive. It's, you know, it's, yes, yes, it has been resuscitated. Good. Let's take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Simply by Frito-Lay. These days, you have a lot going on. But now, thanks to Simply by Frito-Lay, you have one less thing to worry about. So kick back and enjoy your favorite Frito-Lay snacks with ingredients to feel good about, like Simply Blue Corn Tostitos, Sea Salted Ruffles, and even White Cheddar Cheetos Puffs, all made with no artificial colors or flavors. Enjoy what you love and look for Simply brand snacks online or at a store near you. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? 
Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. Welcome back with more Go Ask Alley. Well, I'm always happy to know that your vagina is intact, but how has your care been? I mean, what it's what has it been like dealing with doctors and needing serious care? You know, uh, yeah, I, one of the, you know, odd things about, and the kind of amazing things about where science is at is um, there's, the like, the medication that I'm taking, for the most part, don't have side effects that you can see. And so, like, I have my hair. There's a little bit of hair loss, but I have my hair and I have energy. There's some just some odd things about, like, some, like, little rashes or sometimes a little bit of nausea. But it's really amazing. But there have been moments when I've found myself saying, well, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't look sick enough for you. It's, I mean, oh, Jesus. It, it, people have an expectation of yeah. how a person with cancer or a disease looks. There's a saying, and I'm going to get it wrong, about like, you don't know what path someone has been walking, you know, and that's mm-hmm. sort of a call to empathy, right? Mm-hmm. Because yes. when you when you see a stranger or when you see someone having a hard time, you don't actually know the circumstances of their life. And this is what a person living with a chronic disease can look like, and that's me. So people's appearances really belie what they're going through. And it's also one of those things of like during COVID, people look like they're healthy, but we don't know. And, you know, like you can be asymptomatic. It's it, it's not a bad thing to remember on a on a on a level of health that we don't know what people are going through yeah as also just you know emotionally we don't know what people are going through yeah i was going to say mental health too yes and i i t- i've taken that to heart you know and i'm writing about really serious issues and i take those issues seriously you know um i I, I feel like it has been a saving grace for me, and I want to share this with other people, that, you know, a sense of humor can even sustain you. Yep. So, like, how how have you used your humor? Like, oh, this you want to hear how I chose my oncologist? Yes, I do. Uh, here's what I did. <laughs> the first doctor was, on the face of it, like a very compassionate person, like a very kind face with kind eyes. And what he said to me was the exact same diagnosis as the second doctor and the same protocol. But the way he said it, he said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry what you have. We're going to do the best we can for you for as long as we can. There's no cure for this. We're just going to do the best we can. And my sister was there. Because, you know, like I said, she makes a spreadsheet. Yeah. She had gone through my medical records and she said, my sister's behind in her mammogram and her colonoscopies. Should should she uh, be catching up on that right now? <laughs> and that doctor said, I don't think we have to worry about that now. Oh, my. And I'm like, <sighs> oh, my God. And I, I know he meant that in a kind way, like, why put her through that? Like, what, what he was saying was, we know the cancer that's going to kill her. And Jesus, I was like, that's oh, harsh. my God. But he was very kind about it. So I thought, you know, everyone suggested me I get a, a second opinion. And I said, well, why should I do that? Because this is generally known what I've got and what the, you know, situation is. But people suggested it. So... I went to see this doctor that I heard had the uh, bedside manner of, as someone put it, an open grave. (laughs) And what this doctor said to me was, first of all, he gave me the history of lung cancer like I was writing a science paper about it. I immediately like, oh, a project. I love a project. I can take notes. I'm I'm a writer. And yes, there is no cure for this right now. Same information, very cut and dried. And then my sister says... Well, my sister is behind in her mammogram and a colonoscopy. What do you think? And he thought, took a pause, and he said, well, 
I want your sister, I'm sitting right there, by the way, I want your sister to be one of my patients who is, you know, who gets cured of this so that she could have the possibility of one day getting breast cancer. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, you know what? That's my guy. Yeah. I want the guy who wants me to live long enough to maybe get breast cancer. Yeah. I just thought, okay, you know, I mean, and like, I thought this is, this is, you know, this is pretty funny amidst the horribleness of this. And that's when I know my brain is working. Yeah, That's when I know that like, okay, you know, that's a coping mechanism for me. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was, that was how I I picked that. Yeah. Annabelle, I want to We've, we've been going since December yeah. on this podcast. Yeah, I, I know, do, but I, I do want to end on something that I'm sort of obsessed with from your book, yeah, okay. which is you, you became obsessed with this fluffy poof that you saw in the window <laughs> of a furniture store. Well, by the way, which has led to you basically, what are you, lying around naked on like white shag rugs? And well, so <laughs> take us through this journey that gives you so much pleasure that has ended with you becoming Linus from peanuts. It yes, uh, I have a blankie. Well, okay, that's a lie. I have a lot of blankies now, and I fucking love my blankies. And if that if I'm Linus, that's that's what I need. Yeah. And I recommend it. I highly recommend a blankie. You don't need to get your chart done. Just get a blankie. It's so comforting. Listen, I mean, I have a blankie and George has a blankie and we're not allowed to share blankies, but that blankie oh, is yeah. pulled up over me majority of the day and night. It's it's so helpful. So the thing was, I, you know, I writing in that chapter about growing up in the Calgon generation, the Calgon take me away, mm-hmm. like the idea that we were sold that there's something, in that case, the bath, that will change everything, right? I've always tried to resist that. And then I st- found myself standing in front of a Roche-Beaubois showroom. And that's, you know, that's that very expensive furniture retailer. And there's this like iridescent poof. And it was like the color of a marshmallow, but it was glowing. And I just got obsessed with the idea that that poof could change my life. If I had that poof, I could sort of rest my head on it and everything would be good. I just got obsessed. I was visiting it in that store like a like a petting zoo. I would go and touch it. But meanwhile, it was just like thousands of dollars. And yeah. so I went down the rabbit hole of going online and ordering lesser cheap versions of that of like fluffy pillows. I just decided I needed softness. I called this like a softness spree and I ended up with enough fluffy pillows and soft fuzzy blankets. It's like there's a herd of alpaca raising in my living room. <laughs> the irony is, is that during COVID, it has been so comforting. Like I, I need my blankie. I, I get it now why Linus was dragging that. I, like we need comfort. Like, yes. and you know what, if that's what it takes. And then, you know, when I got this diagnosis, I wrote in the New York Times that what I wanted more than a juicer was a fleecy bathrobe. I have quite a few now. Fleecy bathrobes started arriving at my door. And you know what? It's not a cure for lung cancer, but it really helps. It actually really helps. I believe it. It does. All right. So are you telling me not to send you a fleece bathrobe? No, send it. You have too many. Oh God, no. Okay. I just want to make I want to make it clear as we sit here, I'm wearing hard pants. I'm actually in hard pants. I'm wearing clothes. I do not wear the bathrobe all day because I I could and that would that would be the end. Right. You know, but I I really think one of the things I I hope people take from this book is kindness and is accepting the kindness of strangers. I always thought that was the worst thing. You know, I read Tennessee Williams, Blanche Dubois, terrible fear of my life to accept the kindness of strangers, but not only, you know, being kind to other people, but I mean, 
I can be very unkind to myself in the way that I speak to myself. I can be very hard and punishing to myself. And kindness to the self, I I think it's really important at this moment to lower your expectations of yourself. (laughs) Just and and if and if you need a blankie, get get a blankie. blankie. Get two. Yeah. Annabelle Gerwich, I love you so much. I really thank you for taking this time. Your book is unbelievably fantastic. I'm going to buy a thousand on Amazon. Everybody should read it. Mm-hmm. It is, Allie, but it, but you really, you. you really walk the line of important issues, but you do it with comedy, which is, you know, incredibly hard and, but you do it so well. You are a master of it. So thank you. Oh, it really means so much. It really does. You know, maybe it's because I'm 50 and change that I think about mortality so much, but it is the thing that keeps me up at night. I really do lie in bed and I think, I don't have that much time left. How... How am I going to spend it? What am I going to do? How how do I live the best version of my life? And reading Annabelle's book and, and speaking to her, it does make you think. You could be going along in your life. Maybe you're just binge watching Hulu all day and you get a serious diagnosis or you find out that your life is being cut shorter than you expected and you can't help but rack your brain and go, oh my God, have I done everything I wanted to do? Have I loved everybody I wanted to love? Have I said everything I wanted to say? So, you know, as much as you've read this on every feel-good calendar or heard it from Oprah, you kind of do have to live your best life every day because you never know when you're going to get that diagnosis or you'll be faced by that taxi that's going too fast. Um, And now that I'm so depressed, I suggest everybody go have a big glass of red wine. Thank you for listening to Go Ask Allie. Next week on Go Ask Allie, I talk to meditation teacher, author, radio and podcast host, Bob Roth, who tries to talk me into calming my brain. (laughs) Well, good luck to that, Bob. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast and follow me on social media, on Twitter, Allie E. Wentworth, and on Instagram, The Real Allie Wentworth. And if you have questions or guests you'd like to hear from, I'd love to hear from you. Call or text me at 323-364-6356 or email me, goaskalliepodcast at gmail.com. Go Ask Alley is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.